0: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. What a really cool show we've got for you tonight. Cool is probably not the word I would use. Let me just say powerful. Here's the question that we're going to explore. You ready for this? How can we pay for health care reform, period? Expert Terrence Mix joining us here today is going to reveal that fixing the FDA can save hundreds of billions, not thousands, Hundreds of billions. We're going to chat it up a little bit here today about what's happening, what's not happening, and what needs to be done. Let me introduce you to my guest today. Graduate of the University of Southern California at Hastings College of Law in San Francisco and has been a member of the bar since 1967. He has spent most of his 40 years plus practicing and engaging in in a in a in a different kind of law. And we're gonna to talk to him about that, a subspecialty of drug product product liability. What does that mean? But I want to tell you, if there's anybody that knows about drug product liability and knows about the FDA, it is my guest today. He was elected president of what is now the Consumer Attorneys Association of LA and for twelve years sat on the Board of Governors and the Consumer Attorneys in California this show today is what I call a major talk radio eye-opener and what I mean by that is we get to talk with Terrence, we get to ask some of the questions that no one is asking and we get to chat about it. I am so thrilled. Let me introduce you to my very, very cool guest today, Terrence Mix. Terrence, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show.
1: Boy, what an introduction. Uh, My pleasure, believe me.
0: It's a big topic. I hope you're up for it.
1: Oh, I am. I'm always up for that one.
0: (laughs) Okay. I've got to start by asking you a little bit about you. I always love to hear sort of the backdrop of things, and we've got plenty of time to talk about a lot of things today you know when i looked at what you've done and how you got into the line of business you're in i started to scratch my head a little bit and said wow this guy was handmade for a conversation tonight tell our listeners how you weaved your your career your your career as a lawyer how you weave that into this place right now of being one of the top people the go-to people to have a conversation uh with about this, what is by the way that drug product liability specialty of yours?
1: well, drug product liability is basically litigating against pharmaceutical companies
0: um,
1: of course i 'm on the side of the patient, and so I mean, there are brethren that are that defend those pharmaceutical companies, although i can 't picture what it would be like to do that. Uh, I started a long time ago, as you pointed out. I, was, I passed the bar in 1967. Well, 1972, I was still a young lawyer, and uh, I was uh, subleasing office space from another lawyer who had a case involving a child born without hands. And uh, she approached me one day and asked uh, if I would be interested in associating with her on the case. And uh, the, the child's mother had taken a fertility drug by the name of Clomid, uh, Clomid is a drug used to induce ovulation, still on the market, uh, and is probably the most popular fertility drug in the world, actually. And so uh, I started getting involved in that, started doing research, uh, medical research, preparing for the case uh, to go to trial. Eventually it did go to trial in 1974, and I was not prepared. I will tell you, uh, I was in way over my head. But uh, I spent a month in trial, and uh, the case got better and better as it went along, and and uh, I learned a lot. And <laughs> somehow or another, I won that case, um, and got a lot of publicity. And, and as a consequence, I ended up doing that as a sub, as a subspecialty. Personal injury is my specialty. Subspecialty is pharmaceutical litigation, and um, I got more and more involved in that because it just struck me that not only did I ha- did my heart go out for this child and other children born with birth defects, and I thought, well, maybe I could do something about that. So I started getting involved with the FDA. I started writing them all uh, based upon not just the fact that I had experts testifying in my trial that the drug could cause birth defects, but based upon what I had found in research. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the, the, you know, after a little bit of pestering from this lawyer from California, the FDA invites me out, to uh, Rockville, Maryland, which is where the FDA is located, and said, uh, okay, Mr. Mix, you can come and make a presentation in front of an FDA advisory committee. Now, an advisory committee uh, is comprised of, of specialists, uh, medical specialists from all over the country, uh, very top-notch people. So here's... Uh, this young upstart from California going out telling uh, basically what it would be like walking into a neurosurgeon's office and telling him how to do brain surgery. and and Boy, I was really a fish out of water, but I I made my pitch. I I believed in what I was doing, and um, the the only uh, person in the audience there that was a supporter was my wife, (laughs) who had to come along, and uh, lo and behold, it took several years. Uh, Boy, did I get... uh, Introduced into a some you know a topic that I really didn't know much about very quickly, and uh, at, several years later, and I say this was the hearing was in 1975, and but by 1983, so we're talking about eight years later. The uh, apparently I had some impact on the FDA, and the FDA ordered the drug company to put a warning in that uh, the drug could potentially cause birth defects. It wasn't quite as strong as I would have liked, but it was there. Well, to this day, that was in November 1983, to this day, that warning is not in the package insert or any kind of labeling Gosh. for the drug. Oh, and wow. that was uh, the beginning of a, a very profound education about how things are done with the FDA and its association with the drug industry.
0: I have to tell you, I have to give you a lot of credit for perseverance and, you know, having an experience like that and still hanging in there to really take this to the level it needs to be, the level that we're talking about tonight. I mean, that had to be, at some level, this incredible feeling of gratification, satisfaction, you're helping someone, but to look back today and see that nothing has been done has got to be shocking,
1: shocking. Well, it's it's, it's especially frustrating, Pat, because... uh... I recently, well, I say recently. As recently, as, as things go at the FDA, uh, in December of 07, I filed was called a citizen petition demanding that they put a warning in. And um, actually, I, I made a discovery during the course of my research. I've reviewed over a 1,000 uh, studies involving fertility drugs and their potential for causing birth defects. And I, I learned a lot. Um, most of it took place when I was writing a, a book called... Uh, actually, The Price of Ovulation, which is a book that was recently released that kind of chronicles my history with litigating this particular drug. And uh, during the course of this, I, I found out that fertility drugs, in particular Clomid, Clomid is a um, drug that uh, impairs the production of cholesterol, just like Lipitor or you know any of the other statin-type drugs. It reduces cholesterol. Well, one of the things that we learned in 1993, or medical science did anyway, was that a a reduction in cholesterol can cause birth defects. So I figured, well, here's the natural tie. Not only are there the epidemiology studies that show that there's an increased risk of birth defects when using Clomid and other fertility drugs, but now here is an explanation of how it was taking place. So I, I submitted all that and uh, the, the response to a petition is normally supposed to take 180 days. Well, a year and nine months later, I finally got a decision, and the response appeared to have been written by the drug company. I, I mean, I, I should have known. You know, I'm kind of like uh, the legal version of Don Quixote. <laughs> I guess after all these years, you know, I'm still trying to tilt those windmills and try to get some kind of result. But I, I just feel committed to I, I want to save children from birth defects. I understand
0: completely. That's why I get up here and do what I do, Terrence, uh, about 14, soon to be 17 hours of talk radio a week. We're going to take a short break. We are just warming up on the Dr. Pat Show. How can we pay for health care reform? Well, you're going to hear not only how we can pay for it, but why it is imperative for us to take a look in a different direction. My very special guest today, Terrence Mix, is joining us here today when we come back we're going to be talking about you know what's going on with the congress what's going on in the senate what's going on with washington but we're not going to be talking so much about that we're going to be talking about what should be going on stay tuned we'll be right back with the doctor pat show
2: products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease are you tired or struggling to get to where you want to be in your life want some help getting to that next level hi i'm dr melody ivory personal growth expert and passionate champion of your complete success i'm excited to give you powerful books teas and coaching to help you easily transform your life from the inside out. Now is the time to make your life sing. Visit MelodyIvory.com for free articles, poetry, and affirmations. That's MelodyIvory.com. Are you feeling a little lost? Powerless to overcome your challenges? John Stansfield is a compassionate healer and intuitive messenger who focuses on your self-empowerment by examining current day circumstances whether they are past, present, or future. She offers practical tools to help you overcome difficult situations and move forward in your life path. For a private consultation, contact Dawn today at 425-453-8180 or visit dawnsvision.com.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive by. I am so thrilled to have Terrence Mix joining us here today. Boy, this is a conversation I've been so wanting to have for so long. How can we pay for healthcare reform? Well, that's one question. But what needs to be done really? What does this system we call healthcare really mean? And is the FDA exempt from it? Terrence, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us here today. And I want to ask you that question. I mean, is the FDA exempt from health care (laughs) reform?
1: Well, uh, if you uh, look at it from the perspective of the the Congress, uh, basically controls what happens, and the the drug industry has a pretty good stranglehold on Congress. There's 2.3 lobbyists for every member of Congress uh, from the drug industry, and uh, they have huge pocketbooks. So I needn't. I imagine that most people would understand what that means. Uh, The the FDA. Let me throw some statistics at you and your listeners. Please. Okay. Every year, and this is on average, every year, two hundred and thirty thousand Americans die as a consequence of an adverse reaction to a prescription or non-prescription drug. Uh, There are one point five million Americans that are hospitalized for the same reason, and there's 770,000 whose hospital stays are extended because of a, an adverse reaction to a drug they got while they were in a hospital. Uh, in addition to that, that's, that's about almost 2.3 million spending time in a hospital. Uh, another 4 million may not be bad enough to go in a hospital, but they get medical care from their physician or from an emergency room. So, the total cost of this, now think about this. The total cost of this every year is $200 billion. That's the amount equal to what is spent on Medicaid every year, and almost half of what is spent on Medicare. This is a huge number. And this is what's happening every single year. (laughs) I need to tell you, that's $1 trillion in five years. And this is what's going on every single year. So, it, it struck me that with my history and what I knew about what went on or goes on behind closed doors, what I, I've seen confidential members, memos of conversations between members of the drug industry and personnel in the FDA. I, I've seen it many, many times over the years. So I know what takes place. Um, I've, as I said, I've testified in front of the FDA. I've had multiple dealings with them. And, and I have a pretty good sense. I've also read a, a lot of papers, a lot of books uh, med- written by the medical profession, written by the legal profession of members that deal with the, the drug industry. And I will tell you that those numbers can be cut in half easily. So what I'm talking about is I'm talking about saving 100,000 lives a year. I'm talking about cutting $100 billion a year in health care costs. Well, that will that will pay for health care by itself, and you don't need to increase taxes on anybody, you don't need to require people to to carry medical insurance, any of those things that are going to be part of a new bill, which we're going to have. uh, It's probably by the end of this year, which means in the next week week or so. Um, But the the real question is, why do we have to have this? And even if it passes, if we can get legislation passed where the suggested changes, which I will relate to, uh, can take place, we can save, we, we can save lives. We could, that's a million lives we could save in a, in ten years. That's a trillion dollars in ten years. That pays for the whole package. And yeah, I,
0: I love what you're talking about because no one is really willing to take this on. I mean, you know, between the FDA and the CDC, you know, there is a whole conversation about this. But everything you're saying is so logical. It's so perfect. Perhaps that's the issue. It's not convoluted. Your message is not convoluted, Terrence. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do?
1: Well, look at let's talk about one of the basic problems, and this has existed. The, the FDA was formed in nineteen thirty-eight. Okay, and so since nineteen thirty-eight, every year, right until now, what takes place? How are drugs tested on humans? Human studies are called clinical studies, and what happens is that it isn't the FDA that does the testing. In fact, the testing isn't even done under the supervision of the FDA. The testing is done under the supervision of the drug companies. The, the varied entities that stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes into the billions of dollars if their drug is not approved for marketing are, are overseeing the very studies that make that determination.
0: But aren't they also responsible for funding most of the studies as well? I mean, didn't we have legislation a couple of decades ago? I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Reagan, where you know the check and balance between academic uh, academic research and and drug companies was pretty much obl- obliterated. I mean, it wasn't really there anymore. And so now what we have is this system where universities need money, he- uh, health care industry is willing to pay for it and there is no check and balance?
1: Well, the, the, the tentacles of the drug industry are ubiquitous. They are all over the place. Okay, they extend actually they even extend into the NIH, uh, the National Institutes of Health which is mm. part of the federal government You know, and they extend to um, medical schools, the universities um, and, and the reason is that they, they have things locked up all over the place the the uh, clinical investigators that do studies for drugs um, many of them in fact i would suggest even the majority of them have connections with the drug companies they they are consultants they get the consulting fees for the drug for uh, doing uh, consulting work for the drug companies they appear and, and get uh... perks from the drug company for making uh, talks at seminars and what have you um, many of them uh, well, the problem I, I could go on and on. The, the reality is that most of the clinical investigators that, that study drugs have connections with the drug companies that are are seeking to get approval of their drugs. Yeah. So there's a there's a conflict of interest with just beginning with the clinical investigators. Then the clinical investigators, their records. Okay, now mind you, they've got uh, they've got the drug, they've got like a sugar pill. All right, and so. They have one innate substance and, and the drug that they're testing, and they su- submit it to various patients. And after the study is concluded, the all of the records from the studies do not go to the FDA. They go to the drug company. And I need to tell you that there's, there's multiple, multiple uh, cases that have shown that many of these drug companies cook the books. They, they, they alter records. Uh, and they, get, they receive information about side effects that they don't pass on to the FDA. In the book that I referred to that I wrote for fertility drugs, uh, I document how the drug company during the pre-market clinical studies, this is going all the way back to the 1960s, um, they actually received reports of birth defects that they didn't inform the FDA about. They received reports of miscarriages that they didn't inform the FDA about, and it's well documented in the book. And but, but this is standard MO. This is done by many many drug companies, and it's been shown time and time again. That's why there's so much litigation involving it. As a matter of fact, it's because of litigation that we're really finding out what's going on, because you wouldn't find it from uh, from anything that the FDA is going to. No, it's
0: impossible, and the general public is really cut off for most of that knowledge. I mean, what you're really talking about, and I want to mention to everyone, Terrence Mix is my guest today. And if you go to the website, com, you're going to see the book he's referring to, The Price of Ovulation. And when you go look at the website, you'll talk about the truth uh, about fertility drugs but more importantly there's an amazing free download on the website uh, you'll be able to download uh, the American healthcare dilemma, a solution to the problem so this is really cool Terrence is not only presenting an argument to all of us that we should be paying attention to but he's giving information for everyone everyone out there and so let's make sure that we get a sense of what's happening with this. You know, Terrence, I want to ask you a, a simple question before we go to break. What do you want the American public to do here?
1: Well, what I want them to do, and I, every time I get an opportunity to speak with them, I want them to write their, their congressperson, uh, whether it's a, you know, their senator or their congressperson, write them and say, I want the FDA fixed. Okay. Now there's a lot of ammunition to put in those letters that, that's in the download that you spoke about, that, which is on my home page. Um, there's also a lot of ammunition in the book, but one thing that needs to be done is people need to be sending in letters, and I'm talking about uh, you know snail mail <laughs> and emails. both send your, your congressperson uh, a complaint that, that you're not going to put up with this anymore. And and let them know, I, I've seen it done before. It, it works, but they need to be impressed with the fact that they are not going to get reelected unless they make a change. And when that gets through to them, it won't make any difference how much money the drug industry has. They're gonna they're gonna pay attention. And that's well,
0: let, let's make sure we get their attention. I'm telling you, this is a great, great conversation, everyone. I'm so thrilled Ter- Terrence Mix could join us here tonight on the Dr. Pat Show. When we come back, we're going to be talking about, you know, not only how we, how we change the way the FDA, FDA currently monitors drugs, but we're going to be talking about what some of the recommended changes are, what is at risk, And what do we have to do before it really gets out of hand? Well, some of us think it's already out of hand. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show.
1: The proceeding has been a paid program. All opinions expressed during the program are those of the host and participants. To
2: the max.
0: welcome back everyone welcome back to the Dr. Pat show this is talk radio to thrive by what a great show tonight Terrence Mix is joining us here today Terrence thank you so much for uh, joining us today Let's take a minute and make sure everybody's got your website, and let's let them know about how they can get involved and also about the free download. And thank you for being so generous with us.
1: Well, my whole purpose is to educate people as to what's going on and what can be done about it. And there's a lot of information in the download. And as I said, it it gives a lot of ammunition to use. If you're going to write your uh, U.S. Senator, if you're going to write your Congressperson, and demand something to be done with regard to the FDA, the ammunition is going to be there. So it's just more than just to say, I want you to fix something there. You'll be able to cite something very specific. Um, The 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 biggest, well, not the biggest problem, but certainly one of the major problems involving the, the drug industry is what took place in 1992. That's when the Prescription Drug User Fee Act was passed. And that became effective uh, the first part of 1993. So since 1993, what has happened is, and and I'll give you the current version of that act because it's renewed every five years. Okay. That's what they call a sunset clause. The last time it was renewed was in 2007. Next time will be 2012. Now, what it did is it cut down the time between when the drug company submits the records to the FDA of their clinical studies with humans and says, we want this drug approved. We've shown that the drug works, it's effective in treating this particular condition, and we've given you what all the side effects are, and we believe that the benefits outweigh the risks, and that's the balance that the FDA goes through. In other words, is is the, the drug effective in treating a a condition that's important enough that with the risk, it should still be on the market, but we deal with the risk by warning people about the risk, okay? So they go go through this balancing process. Now, what happens is uh, at this particular point in time, the drug company submits uh, medical records on between one and 5,000 patients, and under the law, of the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, they have to have their decision done within 10 months. Now, this is a process that normally took two and a half years before that act was passed in 1992. Uh, So you have this, what what I say is the rush to market problem. And there was a uh, pro quo for this. And what it was is the drug industry, by paying user fees, currently provides 55% of the budget uh, that the FDA has associated with what it does for drugs. Remember, it does it, it, it's involved with foods, it's involved with medical devices and, and other things as well. So, uh, but the part of the FDA that deals with drugs, uh, 55% of that budget is paid by the drug industry. So think about this a minute. So we go through a change of every, we go through this, this uh, period of every five years and it gets renewed and reviewed. And if the drug industry doesn't like what they see with regard to the FDA, in other words, uh, the FDA is not getting the drug approvals, uh, drug well, actually I should say drug decisions out within uh, the, the, the uh, period of 10 months, uh, if that doesn't take place, and if they're not getting a lot of approvals, they're gonna pull support for this. And what's gonna happen? The, the, the FDA is gonna lose 55% of its budget. So uh, there's this conflict of interest that exists between the FDA and the industry for that reason, and the uh, upper echelon, the, the top brass in the FDA, they look upon the drug industry as their partner, and that's the unfortunate thing. This, that It's supposed to be a regulated industry, but they look upon it as their partner because they're paying 55% of their budget, and that's, that's a big problem right now, and that needs to be changed.
0: That's a huge problem. But can I ask you the obvious question? Sure. You know, you and I are talking about this, and probably people listening to this show are saying that can't be possible. I mean, we have people in government that we elect, and how can these two get on the radio and talk about this and no one else in government pay attention? Now, I don't want to say no one else, but I want to ask you, do you have the attention of anybody in the Congress?
1: Well, uh, everybody's got their own agenda. And, and don't forget, there's 2.3 lobbyists for every member of Congress. I that know. That is supplied by the, by the drug industry. Okay, 2.3. So, and, and they're in Washington, D.C. You know, I'm in California, and, and uh, the, the fact remains that until there is some kind of a, uh, an impact felt, until such time as the members of Congress see something that's going to make them pay attention, they, got, they, they have their own agendas. They're going to keep doing what they've been doing all along for all the decades, and, and that's pay a lot of attention to what's going on with the drug companies and whether or not they're happy, and, and nothing is going to change. But as soon as they get the message, as soon as they see there's a risk that they may not get reelected, Okay, Because it doesn't make any any difference how much money the drug industry supplies in terms of uh, lobbying uh, is concerned, in terms of helping them get reelected or or donating money. If the people that vote are not going to vote for them, they're going to pay attention. And the only way to make them pay attention in that regard is to send them letters, and emails and just inundate them with it. We all need to be activists in that regard. And as soon as that happens, as soon as we can get through and get through to somebody important, um, I, I've written. To, I've written to every member of the Senate Finance Committee. I've written to the White House. Uh, I've written to my two United States senators. I've I've attempted to get a meeting with my own congressperson, and I have not been able. And I voted for her. <laughs> which I reminded his her staff of, and uh, she is from the, the medical profession. She was a nurse. That's lowest caps. Uh, but the bottom line is I could not get a meeting with her, and that is absolutely frustrating. All I asked is for her to sit down with me for 20 or 30 minutes and hear what I had to say, and I couldn't even get that.
0: Well, so, I love that this, that you're suggesting a grassroots approach. I mean you know i I wonder is there a way to go to your website and see a, a a sort of the kind of email or the kind of letter people can write because I think part of this is you know helping people craft the right words, craft you know we can't all be as astute as you are, but I love the idea i mean let's take a let's take a a a step back in time, remember Viox.
1: Yeah, you know, this history of Viox, and, and it's interesting you should bring that up because I was going to make a mention of it. Uh, remember I, I just talked about the, the rush to market situation. Well, yeah. Viox was actually approved within a period of six months. Okay. And here's a drug. It got on the market, and within six months it was approved. And what did they find out? They found out that this drug ended up killing between 26,000 and 56,000 people because it caused blood clots. It caused heart attacks and strokes. And eventually it was pulled from the market, and that was in September of 2004, and it was pulled by the drug company. The FDA didn't order it done. The the drug company did it voluntarily because the writing was on the wall, and they knew, among other things, that they were going to get hit with a lot of losses. In fact, they'd already been hit with several of them at that point in time. Uh, and that's the only thing that prompted the, the drug company, which was Merck, uh, to remove that drug from the market. And, and that, that tells a lot about what's going on, that the FDA still allowed it to remain on the market. See, what happens is once a drug gets on the market, the FDA attempts to address issues involving risks. And, and when I say risk I'm talking about the side effects, the serious adverse reactions that can occur, in this particular instance with Vioxx it with blood clots. Okay, They attempt to deal with them, once the drug is on the market, by just increasing the warning. The, the strongest warning on a package insert uh, or the labeling of a drug is what they call a black box warning. And it's very prominent and bold, and the, the warning of what the risk is is set forth within that box. Now, they attempted to, to deal with it. rather So rather than remove a drug from the market, they, they attempt to deal with it with, with regard to warnings and, and the research I've done, the, the records I've seen over the years tells me that, that it is rare that warnings help people make a decision to not use a drug. In fact, most people don't even learn about it.
0: No, no, I, I agree with you and honestly the reason Vioxx is so clear to me is I had just gotten knee surgery and my doctor gave me some samples. And the samples he gave me were uh, samples of Vioxx. And I had had a ton of them. And, you know, he was telling me these are going to be great. And, you know, the whole story that went with that. About four days later, he called me and he said, do not take those samples. And now I want to tell you about the integrity. There are some doctors out there that have some integrity. And, and this man is one of them. And what he must have gotten was wind of exactly what you're talking about. He must have gotten wind of either the label or something, and he made a conscious decision to say,
1: don't take
0: that drug. I mean, isn't that a little mavericky sort of for
1: him? Well, guess where he got those samples? Yeah. (laughs) He got those samples from a, a salesperson for the drug company. They 're called detail men or detail women, uh, and they go in and they visit doctors you know they 're out selling their product and they are given a script by the drug company as to what to say, so somebody came into his office and gave him some samples and said, "Here try them on your patient and and here's here 's a, a sheet about the drug and and all the good things it does, and yeah, there are a few side effects but but they 're they 're not very uh, Serious And, well, there might be a couple of serious things, but it happens so infrequently as to be really not a concern. And, and so these people that are out selling the drugs will go and visit doctors' offices and give them the, these particular samples. So uh, one of the things that, that your listeners may want to pay attention to is if they, they do receive a sample of a drug from their doctor, understand that that was provided by a salesperson that just pits their doctor. And they might want to be a little bit cautious about that.
0: And, you know, there's a great movie. We're going to talk about this when we come back from break. You know, many of us know Katherine Hagel from Grey's Anatomy. But if you go back in her career, she was in a key role in a movie that I don't know, even know if you can get it called Side Effects. Now, that was a little telling, and that really says a lot about her. Uh, You know, we are talking with Terrence Mix here on the Dr. Pat Show tonight. When we come back from break, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about what changes can be made. Can we save health care and health care reform? We'll be right back with the show.
2: Try the Greek God's popular honey yogurt or the tangy yet subtly sweet pomegranate. Don't forget to try the new Greek God's kefir cheese spread, great for dips or as a healthy substitute for sour cream. Be happy. Go Greek. Experience the myth.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And I'm your host, Dr. Pat Buscelli. For more information about us, go to www.thedrpatshow.com or simply Dr. Pat Live. We have put up Dr. Pat's picks. We have got so many gifts and giveaways for this holiday season. If you go to the website, you'll see it right there on the home page. And what has happened is so many of our sponsors have decided to not only give free things but unprecedented discounts. And so please take advantage of these. They've extended most of these through the end of the year, and we are completely excited about all of it. Terrence Mix is joining us here today, an advocate for what? For you and me, for our children For all of us trying to live a healthy and well being life. Terrence, thank you so much for today's show. We've talked about a lot, but I want to get back to the healthcare question. Why has this issue, why has, you know, this legislation been so difficult to get passed? What is going on, in your opinion?
1: And the the legislation that's Going on right now with regard to the health care reform bill, or yes I suggest yeah,
0: that? yeah, that yeah, because i'm just I'm wondering you know if that if, if a bill like that is so difficult to get through, how is our government ever going to even deal with something like the fDA
1: well uh, the the problem that you have with regard to health care reform in its current uh, bill is that you have so many people that have so many different interests, and you, you need so many votes. For example, as everybody knows, you need 60 votes uh, in the, the U.S. Senate to get a bill passed, and you need it because if you have, you, know, you still need a, I mean, a majority would do it, but if uh, you don't get 60, 60 overrides a potential filibuster, and a filibuster can tie a bill up forever. So the effect is that you need 60 votes in the U.S. Senate, uh, majority does it in in the House of Representatives, but uh, you can see with what's going on right now that that when you when they're trying to reach that 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 key uh, number of sixty, uh, a lot of people who have not committed to have a tremendous amount of negotiating power, and so. They, along with a lot of others, who have said, if you put this in the bill, you will get my vote. If you don't put it in, you won't get my vote. And so there's a lot of um, individual perks that go into a bill like this. How else does it get up to 2,000 pages? I mean, you know, that, that's that, that's um, what that, that Warren piece and its sequel uh, it is, uh, it's an incredible... Th- I have read a bill that was 400 pages long, and it took me uh, weeks to, to not only read it, uh, but to reread it and reread it and reread it so I fully understood it. And uh, But to think of a bill that's 2,000 pages, I can't imagine... Uh, going through all of that legalese and and really understanding it, they have to have people that are feeding them this, uh, you know, their interpretations, and, and they either have to buy it or not buy it. Uh, the reality is that everybody's got their own agenda, and and they're not just one or two different agendas. There there're probably a uh, hundred of them in the, in the U.S. Senate, and so that's the problem, and that's how the bill gets that big.
0: And you know, when it gets that big, it's really hard to find the audit trail, really, of, you know, who, who, who said to put what in the bill. I mean, this is really kind of what the American public really needs to know. You know, what sounded like, uh, something that could help so many people. You know, has turned into uh, a debate that's beyond, you know, much of what we've seen in the past years. So let me ask you this question, Terrence. Terrence Mix, my guest today. You know, where do we go from here? You know, if, if, if we are going to get into the healthcare debate, which will then now be followed for the next at least several years while this president is in the White House, how are we ever going to get to the real issues?
1: Well, I wish I had a magic wand. Uh, Thank I, you. <laughs> I, I I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know that anybody does. Um, the uh, you know I've already explained what I went through yep. trying to penetrate that that wall around Washington D.C. just to get somebody to listen to me, let alone convince them. Uh, and and the reality is that th- that it's it's the voters like you and I. That, that can be activists, that can make a difference. That is the only way it can happen. That is the only way you get through. Now, uh, I, I have a few connections here and there, and I'm trying to uh, use those connections to uh, get an audience before somebody of importance in Congress to talk to them about this particular issue that I feel can take care of the cost of, of health care reform, um, and maybe it will work. Uh, and many times that's the way you, you get through. Uh, if you know somebody that knows somebody else that has an entree and so that you get somebody's ear, and that's the problem. I haven't been able to get anybody's ear. Uh.
2: Uh,
1: if I can, maybe I can sell them on the idea that, that this particular change can mean a lot to this country. I'm talking about saving 100,000 lives a year. Now, why isn't that important? And yet I, I related that to the staff of Lois Caps. And that wasn't enough to get me an audience. So I, I have to I... ask
0: you the question about, uh, you know, your passion and commitment. I mean, you know more about the FDA than probably some of the people at the FDA. And, you know, you you have both the blessing and the curse of that knowledge. I'm sure you're not going to be able to quit on the journey, you know, you as the warrior for so many people. Um, as the next step for people listening to this show, what would you advise them? How would you suggest them to take an immediate action in this moment to get some
1: answers? I want them to sit down and write an email or a letter to their uh, congressperson and their senator, to both. And it's got to be your local congressperson or you won't get through, I can tell you that. So whatever, whoever your local congressperson is... Uh, and your U.S. Senators, both of your U.S. Senators, and write each of them. You can write them the same letter, and, and it, it needs to be direct and to the point and should be on one page and basically says that uh, here are some of the problems with the FDA. You got the, let's start off with the fact that you have the drug companies doing their own clinical studies that determine whether or not their drugs get approved. That That is so clearly a conflict of interest uh, I want that changed. Uh, There are other things to fix in the FDA. And uh, again, if they want to go to my website and look at the pamphlet that I created, that is free there. There's a lot of ammunition that you can just put into into a letter to your congressperson or your U.S. senator, and be an activist. Because unless we all are doing this, it's going to be the status quo. We're going to be in this situation 10 years, 20 years, 30 years now, except that Terry Mix is going to be around to, to be a voice in this situation. Um, I, the only thing I can do is what I'm doing right now, and I'm talking to you, I'm talking to thousands of people via the radio. Uh, I was interviewed on television recently, uh, just getting the word out. Hopefully by the time um, I, I have spoken to enough people and gotten them interested in in the merits of what I have to say, there will be enough people out there that are going to write and make a demand um, i don 't know if you remember the the movie network yes and, and Peter Finch you know he 's talking to the television audience, and he said, I, "I want you to to yell out the window you know i 'm as mad as hell and i 'm not going to take it anymore and it's that kind of an attitude that if it 's conveyed. Two members of Congress can impact them, and it won't make a damn bit of difference how much money the drug industry has, because they won't get reelected. And if they're convinced they won't get reelected unless something is done, they're going to pay attention.
0: Well, Terrence, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the show. And you know, folks can go to your website. Tell them how they can get a copy of uh, of the book that you were referring to, the American Healthcare
1: Dilemma yeah uh the well the the american health care dilemma is actually about a thirty page pamphlet and if they go to my website which again terencemix dot com with one r t e r e n c e m i x dot com and on the home page in the upper right hand corner you're going to see the cover of that pamphlet you just click on it and you can just read it and it, and it's it it actually it's kind of ingenious. It, it, it actually turns the pages for you as you're reading it. <laughs> uh, anyway, it, it's it's uh, it's all there, and everything you want to know that you could use in a in a letter to to Congress uh, is right there in that particular uh, pamphlet.
0: Well, Terrence, I want to thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on, you know, The Price of Ovulation, your, your other book, Best Books Award finalist, and the message it brings to save the lives of so many people. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on the show.
1: Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Pat, and I want to thank you for giving me the forum to actually speak with people like all of your listeners.
0: Well, I can't wait to get you back when I actually have a plan in place to really take this to the next level. Uh, Thank you all for joining the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Hey, for more information about us, go to drpatlive.com. And remember, live life full out. Have a great holiday season.